Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Coding and Coffee. Thanks for joining me today. Um, this morning when I woke up, Siri told me that it's 184 days till Christmas. So I thought I would get um, a start on it by using my dear Santa. It's a long story coffee cup. Yeah, so it really is. Speaking of long stories, um, you know, every audit that I conduct seems to have a resounding gong to it which would be incident two billing. So I thought I would talk about incident two billing today with you. You know, we have our wonderful non-physician practitioners and those are our nurse practitioners, our physician assistants, clinical nurse anesthetists, clinical nurse specialists, um, our licensed clinical social workers, PTs, OTs. We have so many of our non-physician practitioners and they help us take care of our patients uh, every day. And under, you know, because they have a, a slightly less and sometimes slightly more in the case of our, our uh, nurse practitioners, they have a different type of education. And so when they contract with payers, payers have a tendency to pay those non-physician practitioners at 85% of the physician's rate. So some of us might think that's fair. Others might think, well, that's not fair. But, um, you know, again, they're not quite physicians with the same liabilities that physicians would have. So those non-physician practitioners, they're reimbursed for their services at 85% of the physician's fee schedule. But, you know, when certain requirements are met, those services that are furnished by the non-physician practitioners that happen to be an integral part of a physician's plan, those can be reported under the physician's NPI number as if the physician had performed the services and they can get paid at the full physician amount. Now, I know you're thinking to yourself, we do that, Christine. We do that with all of our patients. Well, Actually, we need to make sure that the requirements are met. So first thing we should do is talk about what is incident to billing. Now, incident to billing is a Medicare benefit. Did you know that? It's not something that is pervasive across all of the different insurance companies or the insurance payers. The incident to concept of, again, that's when the non-physician practitioner performs an integral part of a physician's existing service and it's reported under the physician's NPI number for full reimbursement. So um, again, it's a, a Medicare benefit that is available for Medicare beneficiaries when they see a participating Medicare physician and a Medicare non-physician practitioner. Um, actually, you can find more information about the incident to benefit from the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual, Chapter 15, Section 60.1. It gives us the definition of this particular benefit, even goes on further to tell you what those requirements are. But you don't need to worry. I'm going to tell you about those today. So in a non-institutional setting, right, uh, that is going to be your offices and your clinics. So only offices and clinics can do incident to billing, not your hospitals. That's a different type of benefit, right? But this particular benefit is strictly limited to offices and non-institutional settings. So again, those are going to be your clinic type of, of settings. And 
um, again, supported by the Social Security Act, Medicare will pay for those certain services that are that meet that requirement. Now, again, this is a benefit. So we do know that when it comes to Medicare, Medicare doesn't like to overlap its benefits. So this benefit is exclusively for those services that are performed in the office or a non-institutional setting. So we are not gonna be mixing the benefits because these benefits have some strict rules. So let me move a little bit forward. Um, now, not all payers follow incident two rules. You'll have to check payers specifically to see what type of benefits they have for reporting non-physician practitioner services under the physician's NPI number as if the physician had performed the service. And another thing that is really important to understand about the incident two benefit is that it is not the same as a physician, non-physician practitioner collaboration agreement. So of course, many states require non-physician practitioners to enter into a collaboration or a supervision agreement with a physician and an incident to benefit is a payment benefit. It has nothing to do with supervision or state rules or state regs. This again is strictly a payment benefit out there. So it doesn't matter that your physician supervises your non-physician practitioner. This is just a benefit, a payment benefit, right? So again, we can, we can utilize this service when there are some key things that are identified. So let's run through those. The very first thing is that both the physician and the non-physician practitioner need to be enrolled in the Medicare program. So they both have their own individual PTAN numbers. They both have uh, their own individual NPI numbers, but the non-physician practitioner and the physician are both enrolled in the Medicare program. Okay, so I, I often see sometimes that they will uh, report services that were performed by a non-physician practitioner under the physician until they get credentialed. Can't do that, guys. Both parties have to already be enrolled in the Medicare program. So think about that. That means that the non-physician practitioner is enrolled with the Medicare program and they can perform services and get reimbursed from Medicare. We're just going to utilize this benefit to try to uh, capture that additional 15% revenue. The second part of incident two very important, is that the non-physician practitioner needs to be employed by the practice. So either they're a W-2 employee, they could be a 1099, it could be part of a, of a subcontract agreement between a company that provides the non-physician practitioner, but the truth is, is that they need to be an expense to the practice, right? So the practice is putting out money some way, somehow, to have this non-physician practitioner working for them. So again, it cannot be for an autonomous non-physician practitioner uh, location or practice. So like in the state of Florida where I'm at, our nurse practitioners can, can practice autonomously, meaning that we can go to a practice that is solely run by a non-physician practitioner who can 
partner with insurance companies and get paid for services. But if that non-physician practitioner, that nurse practitioner, um, if they don't have a physician who works in the office, who is employed by the company, then incident two doesn't work. So again, going back to that misconception of a maybe a collaboration agreement or a supervision agreement, that doesn't pertain to incident two billing and capturing that additional revenue. The third component is that the service must take place in an office setting. So again, in the office setting or in the clinic, cannot be in the patient's home, although there is a, a, a caveat for patient's home. I'm not going to talk about that today because it's a little bit trickier. I'm just giving you the information today about an office setting. But that means that we cannot do incident two in a nursing home. We can't do incident two in the hospital. Those those locations have their own separate benefit category. We can talk about that on another day. But uh, these services take place in an office setting. The next one is that the physician must initiate the care during which the physician arrives at a diagnosis and documents a plan of care. So that means that we can never do incident two for a new patient. So the physician must initiate the care that results in that diagnosis. Doesn't mean that it has to be a new patient visit. It just means that incident two could never apply to a new patient visit because we need the physician to arrive at that diagnosis and document a plan of care. So I'll give you an idea. Um, I told you last week, my mom is extremely healthy. So um, I was trying to think of a scenario where my mom might possibly fall into this category. Um, so, you know, she's on Medicare. And if she goes to the doctor and the physician says, you know, hi, mom, uh, I wanted you to know that your vitamin D level is low. And so I want you to take a vitamin D supplement and we're going to check your blood in three months to make sure that your vitamin D level has come up. Fair enough. When my mom goes back to the physician or back to the practice in three months, they can be, she can be seen by the non-physician practitioner. She's got an amazing non-physician practitioner. I know that she would want to go see him. And then that non-physician practitioner, as long as they are seeing my mom for the vitamin D deficiency and the vitamin D deficiency only, that visit can be billed incident two. So that uh, non-physician practitioner can bill that visit under the physician's NPI as long as it's only for the uh, vitamin D deficiency. So if my mom says something else like, oh my gosh, I woke up this morning and I have a rash, that non-physician practitioner can treat her for her rash. It's well within their scope of practice to treat my mom for that. However, it's a new condition that the physician didn't see, the physician didn't diagnose, and the physician didn't put together a plan of treatment. Her non-physician practitioner is going to put together that plan of treatment. And so that visit no longer qualifies as incident two and should be reported under the non-physician practitioner's NPI number. Now, they are going to get reimbursed at about 15% less than what the physician would have, but because the physician did not 
initiate the care for the rash component there and did not come up with the diagnosis or the plan of care, this visit is no longer eligible for incident two. So I hope I was able to kind of shed some light on that. We're only going to be able to report visits incident two when a physician has previously seen the patient, established the diagnosis, established the plan of care, and that non-physician practitioner seeing the patient afterwards, but following that plan of care. Now, if the plan of care needs to be changed, right, say that my mom comes in for her vitamin D deficiency, and after reviewing the most recent labs, the, they notice that my mom's vitamin D is still significantly deficient, and we want to change the course of treatment for her. Maybe they want to add an additional supplement, additional medication that might help stimulate that vitamin D production in her body. Then at that point, again, we're changing an established plan of care and it should be reported under the non-physician practitioner's NPI number. Um, unless, there's always an unless, unless that physician, when they saw my mom, said those words in their plan of care. So we're going to ask my mom to take a, a vitamin D supplement. We're going to ask her to come back in three months and have another blood test done. If that blood test shows that she is significantly deficient even after the supplement, then we're gonna have her take XYZ medication. Now, when she comes in to see her nurse practitioner three months later, and he has to make some changes to her vitamin D, then those plan of care was already set in place for him to change the medication and to see that my mom that day at incident two. Because again, it's just an extension of the previous visit that was where the physician arrived at the diagnosis and the physician laid out a good plan of care. So again, we're gonna need our physicians to be involved in this process in order for us to capture that additional 15% revenue. And let me tell you, if you're, you have a non-physician practitioner who is working full-time in a practice, that 15% over the course of a month, depending on how many patients they see per day, that could really be a difference. So we need to make sure that this collaboration, not collaboration agreement, right, but internal practice collaboration is happening where the physician sees the patient for that initial diagnosis. Again, I don't want you to feel that after the physician sees the patient for the first time, that the non-physician practitioner can see them forever after because that's not indeed the case. Every new problem needs to be established with the physician in order for the physician, for the non-physician, the non-physician practitioner, or let's just say NPP. So for that NPP to continue seeing the patient and getting the 15%. Now remember, they can see the patient, it's well within their scope, but to capture that 15%, it has to be an extension of the previous visit where the diagnosis was established and a plan of care was established. So hopefully I've been able to share that information clearly to you. Um, the last component is that the physician must actively participate in and manage the patient's course of treatment. Now that is a pretty open statement because 
what does actively participate really mean? Is it that we see the patient once a year? Um, is it that the physician has to see the patient quarterly? It's not really clear. I always recommend to providers as a baseline, um, at least once a year, you should follow up with that patient. Make sure that the plan of care is still the most optimal plan of care. Do you need to make a change to that plan of care? Do you need to expand that plan of care? That maybe, you know, maybe a year from now, my mom's vitamin D level has evened out. Maybe it's actually a little high because she's been doing such a good job taking her supplements. That physician would need to come back in and make a change to that plan of care. So maybe they want my mom to discontinue the vitamin D for a period of time until they have a chance to do some labs and see where she's at and you know whatever that course is. And maybe the plan of care says if her vitamin D level is okay, then discontinue. If it's not, continue the current plan of treatment. So now you see that her physician is involved in the course of her treatment there. So that is incident two. Um, now, the next question I know you're going to say is, well, you know, my provider always reviews all the non-physician or the NPP's notes and signs off on them. So is that okay, Christine? That is not okay. So that statement that you might, your, your physician might up, add to the non-physician practitioner NPP's notes that something like I have reviewed the physician assistant's notes um, and I agree with them. That statement is not all right. That is not the physician seeing the patient, uh, coming to a diagnosis and putting together their own independent plan of care for the NPP to follow. Uh, another statement I see quite often is that the nurse practitioner performed the history physical and I was present for the entire encounter. Well, let's be honest. Um, I don't know that many practices that have that hire that high level nurse practitioner or physician assistant and having them work as a medical assistant that are really just um, you know, that they're supervising the entire visit. That That's not really cost effective from a business perspective. And again, I don't know very many physicians that sit in and supervise and monitor their nurse practitioner's visit the entire time. Uh, more realistically, they might pop their head in the door and say, hi, Mrs. Smith, how are you? Um, you know, is nurse practitioner Bob taking good care of you? Fantastic. See you next time. And again, that's not uh, doing an evaluation and management, coming up with a diagnosis and putting together a plan of care that could be followed by that NPP. So we really need to be careful and make sure that our physicians are doing their part in order to receive this incident to benefit. Now, a couple of other things. You, you heard me talk about this being a benefit and how Medicare doesn't cross over benefits. I wanted to talk about the annual wellness visit being billed incident two. So I have some concerns about that. Of course, you know I do. Um, and my concern about that is if incident two means that the physician has to come up with the diagnosis and the plan of care, then how could an annual wellness visit be incident to an initial visit by the physician? Unless that physician is documenting in their plan of care that they want the patient to return 
to have the following conditions reviewed during their annual wellness visit, right? So if we incorporate the annual wellness visit into a plan of care where all the diagnoses are presented by the physician and the plan of care for those are reported, then we might be able to see how we can justify an annual wellness visit incident too. I also have a concern because those are two different benefit categories, the annual wellness and incident two, right? So there's those two. I have listened to a lot of webinars by First Coast Service Options, the MAC for Florida, Novitas, the MAC for Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and some of the northern states, the northeastern states. Um, and one other one from Noridian. And Noridian covers pretty much the entire Midwest uh, Northern Midwest. And all three of those webinars that I listened to about annual wellness visit do not rule out the option of reporting annual wellness incident two. So I can only imagine it's because there is that plan of care that was established by the physician that includes having the conditions that the patient has or those diagnosis reviewed during annual wellness as well. So again, you know, we've, we can talk about it and talk about it, but documentation rules the world. It's not what you did, it's what you documented. And if you didn't document it, then what guys? then it didn't happen, right? So uh, I, I struggle with that with a lot of providers trying to explain to them that this is, it's not a clinical judgment on your documentation. It's explaining your documentation to a payer. So very much like ourselves when, how many of you, when you leave the grocery store, you leave the department store, um, say you go to a department store that's having a great sale, right guys? We always check our receipt to make sure we got that sale price to make sure that we got all that information and and any payer is like that they want to check the receipt they want to check the notes they want to make sure that what they're paying for or what they paid for is exactly what they had agreed to pay for right so again medicare agreed to pay for certain services incident two so they'll pay it a hundred percent as long as all the requirements are met so I'm going to run through those one more time really quickly for you. So anybody who missed it the first time. Um, so both the physician and the non-physician practitioner must be enrolled in the Medicare program. We can't bill under somebody else's NPI number until the non-physician practitioner gets their Medicare credentials. Can't do that, guys. Next, the NPP must be employed by the physician practice. So again, doesn't have to be a W-2. It could be a 1099. There could be some sort of a contractual agreement in place. But the bottom line is, is that they cost the practice. The services must take place in an office setting. So this, again, cannot be, you can't use incident two guidelines for the hospital, the nursing home, those types of visits. The physician must initiate the care. So during which they come to a diagnosis and they give us a documented plan of care for that diagnosis. And then subsequent to the initial encounter, the NPP, they may provide the follow-up care for that condition as it is instructed in the plan of care. So again, if there is a new condition that comes up, it's not incident two. If we are changing
go that has restored itself. So the last component there was that the physician must stay actively involved in the patient's course of treatment. I'm getting a little bit of feedback here. No sound. Did you get my, my sound back? Do I, can you hear me okay, guys? Let's see, I'm waiting for some feedback. Can you hear me okay? Is the sound okay? Can you hear me? I feel like I'm in one of those commercials. Can you hear me now? All right, sounds great. All right, um, I have some references for you. If you need them, please feel free to reach out. Um, every Mac seems to have those incident two rules. Also, don't forget it comes from the Medicare manual and it's also listed in the Social Security Act. So we do have a lot of references if you need them for that uh, physician or maybe your, your practice administrator or someone who just needs some more information and in reporting incident two correctly. Don't forget that the OIG has resumed all of their audits. They are now looking for um, those items. We have our RAC audits, we have our ZPIC audits, and please be careful that you are reporting incident two correctly, because if not, you will have to return that 15%. And don't forget that Medicare is notorious for extrapolating it out over the last six years that you may have been performing incident two incorrectly. So uh, have a good compliance plan in place that addresses incident two, educate your staff, educate your providers, make sure you're doing it right. If you need me, if you need more resources, again, please feel free to reach out. My email is chall at sterlingglobalsolutions.com. I'm going to be uploading a recording on incident two into uh, our YouTube channel. So make sure that you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can get notifications when we upload those videos to YouTube. Um, make sure that you're subscribed to our website. We do send out newsletters uh, monthly, sometimes more than monthly if we have a significant change that comes across that, uh, are, you, know, that you might need to know for your particular practice. So make sure you're signed up for that. And with the few minutes that we have left, I would love to take some questions because I know incident two is one of those areas that uh, is so misunderstood. So any questions coming out, guys? All right, I have a question that just popped up. And the question is, Christine, we have been billing this way for many, many years. Our NPP sees all of our subsequent visits. So I understand that your NPP takes care of all your subsequent visits, but just make sure that those visits are meeting incident two guidelines. You should be internally performing quarterly audits on some of these areas that are, are high volume, high use, okay? So if you are doing your NPP is seeing all of your follow-up visits, uh, you should do a spot check, right? Maybe do an assortment of 10 charts at, for one particular time period and see if incident two, all the requirements were met there. How about any other questions that might pop up? Anybody else have a question about incident two? 
Oh, somebody else just said, we need you in our practice, Christine. Okay, I, I, I am available to you. Please feel free to reach out. I would be happy to come and, uh, you know, I can perform an, a spot audit for you from an external source looking at it. Um, a lot of the times we can educate the practice, do a you know, one hour education on incident two and let them know what are the guidelines of incident two and how they can stay compliant with utilizing this amazing benefit, right? Um, you can also do a, a little cost savings within your office and see how many patients that maybe could be reported incident to that maybe are not being reported incident to and see if it's worth the practice's while to um, start reporting incident to. I have another question. Can you explain the difference between split shared visits and incident two? Absolutely. So split and shared visits, those are visits that are performed in the hospital setting or in a nursing home setting, in those types of institutional settings. And that's where we take a total of the time that was spent by the non-physician practitioner when they came in and saw the patient and they did the report and the evaluation and management component that the physician performed. So we're looking at both visits together. They both have seen the patient on the same day. So again, that split visit, um, we can talk about that on another coding in coffee, and I would love to, considering that Medicare has removed split visits from the Medicare claims processing manual and from the benefits manual. It's my understanding that they have removed that verbiage and they have removed that benefit because they are going to be revising the benefit at a later time. But um, as it stands right now, CMS has removed the split and shared visits I have not heard that they're denying split and shared visits. I haven't heard that they are not accepting split or shared visits, but they have removed the benefit from the benefit category manual at this time while they are revising the rules or the requirements of that particular benefit. So split and shared is only in the hospital or in, a, in an institutional setting and your non your incident two is only in your non-institutional office settings those outpatient settings or clinic settings so um i think that's our time for today guys please make sure that you're checking out all of our social media pages some polls will be going out about what we want to talk about maybe on our next week's coding and coffee Perhaps we'll ta tackle that split and shared visits, uh, or maybe we'll wait until the new requirements are posted by CMS. So again, if you need me for anything, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is chall at sterlingglobalsolutions.com. If you need resources, if you want to chat about maybe putting on an education for your practice or having an audit performed of, for your practice, um, or maybe you need some revamping of your compliance manual or your compliance program. Remember, it's not just that book that sits on the shelf that we blow the dust off of, right? It's an active program in the practice to make sure that we mitigate any possible risks that are to our practice. So have a great weekend, everyone, and I'll see you next week.